Today, inshallah ta'ala, in this session, we are looking at Surah Al-Bayyinah. It is Surah number eight, uh, 98 of the Holy Qur'an, and it means the clear proof or evidence. So this is one of those uh, surahs in this juz, uh, the last part of the Qur'an, that is not an early Meccan revelation. This is a surah that was revealed later on in Medina, Al-Munawwah. So this surah describes the difference between true believers and people who don't believe. So what is Al-Bayyinah then? The title of this chapter comes from Al-Bayyinah, which is mentioned here. And of course, uh, we have many other places in the Quran where Allah men mentions Bayyinah, not just a single Bayyinah proof, uh, clear proof, but bayinat, proofs in plural form. The clear proof, al-bayina, is the Quran itself and the hadith. Because in our Islamic tradition, we can't really just solely rely on the Quran itself and follow the teachings of the Quran without its application and embodiment that came in the form and shape of the Prophet ﷺ who received that very revelations, which we as a whole call the Sunnah. And any account which has been attributed to him or anything that we know of that he had said or did or approved, we call that Hadith. So we need both of those, basically, to be on the right side. And that is why the Qur'an, of course, mentions separately the Prophet ﷺ and how it is important that we obey Allah and His Messenger. If it was only Allah, obey Allah and whatever commands Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you, then the role of the Messenger would be different. Yeah, he is like a transmitter or someone that received these revelations and passed it on successfully to us in a language that we can understand. But there is nothing to do with him. Well, this surah in a way says that it is really about the Quran and the Sunnah itself. So why? Because the surah mentioned here, حَتَّى In a way, the actual answer, okay, about al-bayyina, the clear proof, is a messenger from Allah reciting the pure pages from the correct or clean scriptures to them. So you understand now here that it is the scripture which is of course fundamental and extremely important because the Quran itself is from God, from Allah, Allah's ancient speech. But if this Qur'an was not sent down to a man like ourselves, we won't be able to relate to it. And then if this Qur'an was not read out to us, explained to us, and then even applied its teachings, basically, the core guiding principles, the universal principles, and the rules or the rulings and the regulations that we find in this uh, holy book, we would not be able to follow it. Simple. We won't be able to benefit as much in it. But because the way it is, we understand that the clear proof is both the Qur'an and the Sunnah. 
And the Rasul here, even though it came, we say, in an indefinitive article like a messenger, a messenger means any messenger in language. But in Quran, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can say, Ar-Rasul, the messenger. And we can understand mostly, of course, is An-Nabi and Ar-Rasul means the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa But there is one or two places, definitely one place, where the definitive article came, but he wasn't meant the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi Clearly, he meant Musa alayhi salam as the messenger, but he is the messenger for his people, them. And sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the holy book something in, in, in infinite, infinity way or form, but he actually means something specific. It's unspecified, but it actually uh, is specific and we can actually understand what it is. So, Rasulun Yatlu, here in this surah, Rasulun min Allah Yatlu, Suhufan Mutahara means uh, the Messenger of Allah, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Suhufan uh, Mutahara, which means uh, pure pages, you can say Mutahara, cleansed, purified, pure, whatever uh, translation you use is fine, is the Holy Quran. So here is another role of the Prophet and we of course can extend this rule. This is what scholars basically do. They are an extension of this rule. Uh, role. So the Prophet ﷺ, his role was not just to receive the revelations. He also explained it. He read it out. He recited it. Talaha yatlu ayatihi. Yatlu ayati. And here he says yatlu suhufan mutahar. So he basically was appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be our teacher. That's what it means. He taught us the scripture. He not only received it, he received it and narrated it, passed it on, and then taught us the Quran. So of course, the best mufassir in that sense, the best explanation of the Quran comes from the Prophet himself. So the Qur'an can explain itself by itself, which is the highest form. Like here, what I just said, the Qur'an explained to us what it is. But then the next one in degree is the explanation that came by the Prophet ﷺ himself. Because it was sent to him. Who else will understand it better than him? Or in terms of human people, no one but the Prophet ﷺ. And then is the language itself, which helps you to understand it. And then other forms. So it is really a combination of a book with a teacher which we need to go for. And we already had this once, isn't it? We already said this in one of the sessions. This is too risky, it's too dangerous sometimes to rely on a scripture alone, on a book without a teacher. In fact, there are certain sciences you can't really learn them without an instructor, without a tutor, without a teacher. And generally speaking, in our lives we can't really progress unless we relied on our teachers. In what sense? I'm not talking about somebody who is 20 years older than you, your senior. They don't necessarily have to be much older than you. But necessary it is that they went through a phase or a stage or a path that you are about to go through. So all of our teachers, irrespective of their age, your PhD supervisor or uh, your, your lecturer, whatever, they went through a PhD process before. 
only now they are allowed and they can have the skills to supervise you. And in anything that we learn, those people have already learned that they sat as a student basically before you, just like you are now their student, with another teacher who passed that knowledge and experience to them. Now they are transferring it to you, passing it on. Until it goes all the way to where? The Prophet himself and to Sayyidina Jibreel So if you think about this process of book slash teacher, which one is the most important? The one we should never take any risk in is actually learning about our deen because it's the most precious knowledge for us, the most sensitive. So that is the one we have to make sure we take from yeah, we learn from books, of course, but we learn from those books with teachers. Okay, you understand? So, even me, do you really think I would be able to read these books to you and uh, scripture and explain them if I didn't have 100 plus teachers who taught me all this? In their own ways, in different ways, teachers from all over the world that I had to study with for years and years before I was allowed to talk. And until now I have some teachers. Do you understand? And I always will have teachers. Doesn't matter how old I become and how knowledgeable or how much I learn, I'm still going to have teachers who will teach me something new, something else that they learned from their teachers. And it's a beautiful school. It's a beautiful process to be involved with, yeah, to be part of. So this is the beginning of this surah. Yeah? So it talks about uh, non-believers, the people of the book, uh, and, and those among them who are not believers as well as idol worshippers and then the clear proof which we now established is the Quran and the Sunnah and a messenger from God that recites and reads those pure pages we said it's the Prophet Muhammad okay? and the pure pages are the Holy Quran the glorious book, the glorious Quran okay um, this is important. Then the term, the people of the book, which is mentioned here. In the Quran, when Allah says, Ahlul Kitab, literally means people of the book, okay? Uh, it is used to mean Christians and Jews, okay? And their holy books, okay, they have been given scriptures, like the Quran has been sent down to our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Musa received the revelations, Torah, okay, and more than that. And then Sayyidina Isa, Allah gave him Al-Injil. So uh, when Allah mentions these kutub, books, then we know he's mainly talking about Al-Tawrat and Al-Injil, and maybe Al-Zabur, you can add to that. Or you can also say he's also talking about whatever was revealed to Sayyidina Ibrahim, in terms of scripture or Nuh, or any other prophet or messenger of Allah before. But Ahlul Kitab, in general sense, really mean uh, the Christians and the Jews, or all those people who followed the monotheistic pure faith that was clearly established by Sayyidina Ibrahim And hence this emphasis about Millata Ibrahim. So you understand, the Quran mentions Ibrahim in this context, so we all be, belong to Abrahamic religions. I'm not saying that all Abrahamic religions are absolutely intact. Everything is as it used to be, as Allah revealed. We don't know, okay, uh, about the previous scriptures and the previous nations. 
the Quran clearly says about a few things that have been changed and mended. Therefore, I'm not sure anymore. I can't take that scripture as it is. But the Quran doesn't say reject it as a whole. This is important. The Quran also doesn't say this surah, actually, if you think about it, if you, I can read the translation for you. So there is no uh, ayah that I know of in Quran which says, Ahlul Kitabi Kuffar. Like, it's always like, Min, Ahlul Kitab, from among them, those, Alladina Kafaru, Min Ahlul Kitab. So it's like uh, very uh, interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us. There are certain changes that took place and problems in their creed, like belief system, Trinity-like. Or anything like taking Isa as a son of God is extremely heinous and problematic. The gravest of all sins, isn't it, to make shirk? So we understand that. So I don't get it myself why the whole uh, Christian faith nowadays is defending those notions and principles. And the same is with the Jewish tradition. I've got nothing against Tawrat. I've got nothing against genuine Jewish people, genuine rabbis, and people who are good and pray to Allah and read Tawrat. But I'm not so sure if the Tawrat, as, as they have it, is intact. I'm not so sure. And it's going to be very hard for anyone to prove or disprove it historically with facts, how much it is corrupted and where and what. But at the same time, the Prophet ﷺ taught his Sahaba when they were frightened by those uh, verses and knowing the Jewish community in Medina and some few maybe Christians who would come for trade in Mecca or something like that and a few who claimed to belong to some kind of Christianity and few odd migrants from Christendom at that time, yeah, uh, the Roman Empire. So when, when they questioned... And they asked the Prophet he told them like this in one hadith. He said, you don't have to believe in what their scripture says. You don't have to accept it. And certainly, like if you haven't mastered the Quran, you don't go and study Tawrat. <laughs> you have to go in order of priority. First, you learn Quran and Arabic language. Why would you learn Hebrew first or, or study Bibles first? It's wrong to do that. But he told them, don't deny their scripture as a whole as nonsense. In the same way, we are not allowed to say Christianity as a whole is wrong, it's shaitanic religion. No, it's not like that. Many of them are deluded and they maybe think they are doing good thing and this and that. We don't know exactly what it is. It's some kind of false inspiration that they have. They think they are close and spiritual, close to God and spiritual. But it's some kind of like a deceitful inspiration which has to do yeah, with wrong assumptions, wrong premises. So when, when, when they develop something on a wrong premise, of course their conclusions will suffer. And they will not even know because their premise, the underlying foundation is incorrect, wrong. So the Prophet ﷺ, he told them, you don't have to believe in it, but you don't also reject, you have, don't have to reject all of it as it is. So we don't believe, but we don't deny. 
That's what how we should perceive and have the standing, the position regarding the previous scriptures, the previous revelations, and the people of the book, which is mainly Christians and Jews. So we don't ridicule them. We don't belittle them like that. We pray for their guidance. That's it. Because the clear proof has come now. The Quran and the Prophet himself, the Quran and his revelations is here. Therefore, it makes every sense, of course, for all of them now to follow, to follow the latest edition of Allah's religion, which is Al-Islam. And you can also argue this way, it was always Islam anyway. Since Sayyidina Adam, it's always the same religion of God, which is to acknowledge him, the oneness of God, submit to him, and to accept whoever is the prophet or messenger that Allah sent at, at, at any given time. So it's all the same, really. But at the same time, we don't want to become hostile and jump into conclusions and assumptions, and we don't know. We are not sure. So Allah says here, the non-believers from among the people of the book and the idol worshippers. So you see, notice the difference here. Min ahli kitabi, okay, Allah says, wal mushrikina. So Allah doesn't say the non-believers among the idol worshippers. There's not things like that, okay? So idol worshipping as a whole is no doubt wrong. And the Quran also came really strong on two points, actually. There is no other two points you can say that are as strong and emphatic in the Quran as these two. The oneness of God, which is Tawheed, La ilaha illallah, yeah, La ilaha illallah. This one is everywhere. Don't say three gods, don't say two, don't, like, there's no more than one god. It's impossible. Argues very strongly, very strongly. Rejects Trinity, just like that. Don't even say three gods. Forget about Trinity as a concept. So, this is one thing. And the other thing which Allah spoke very strongly about, in a way almost harshly, is the idol of worshipping. Shirk. No compromise on shirk. Strong outright rejection, uncompromisingly rejecting these two things. So here there is a difference, of course. So, but those who don't see the truth from among the people of the book and the idol of worshippers could never have found a way out of their religious mistakes until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down, gave them what? The clear proof, al-bayyinah. And how can they? So that is why Allah sent down the Quran and sent down the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu to show them the way. To show the way to those people from the previous nations that went astray. Do you understand? So Allah sent uh, the Quran down and a messenger with it, Allah's messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with the Qur'an to explain everything to them and clarify up their confusions and mistakes. But not all of the people of the book, okay, accepted the bayna, the clear proof, the Qur'an and the beloved Prophet alayhi salatu wa salam. And as a result, they became divided into many small groups arguing with each other about little details. So Allah tells us in this surah what are the main uh, points that we all have to agree on which forms a true religion, a deen al-qayyim, 
solid true religion. First is ibadah to Allah. Yeah. Uh, so ibadah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone but with sincerity. Okay? So to serve only Allah as the only one true God with a sincere heart. That's the first condition. Then to establish prayers means to pray regularly, yeah, and also to purify our wealth. Yeah, uh, So those are the norms. So all those traditions, ours and Christianity and Judaism, they are all supposed to have this in the same way. They are all supposed to pray to Allah alone and worship Him alone, no one else, because there's only one true God. And with pure heart, with pure intention, with sincerity. They all have to pray to Allah on a regular basis, establish the prayer, and also give uh, in charity. Yeah? Because whatever we have is entrusted to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, how does it come that their prayer is so informal, not regular, this and that? It's not really my job, you know. I, I'm so happy and grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I grew up not in that kind of tradition, but in an Islamic tradition, so I don't have any problem of following something which has been mended and changed, and the concept of prayer has been really changed, and changed actually so much that its main core essence is almost lost. Right? Whereas this surah tells us how it should be. And the rest of the Qur'an. And I'll tell you in a nutshell here what it is. The Qur'an didn't say pray. Sallu. In fact, Sallu wa sallimu, yeah. Send peace and salutations upon the Prophet in that sense. But not pray your formal prayer just as an order, command, pray. Always aqimu salah in plural form or aqimu salah because Allah said it to the Prophet first. And then the extension of order to him applied to us. But Allah also said it in plural, which means, O oh, you who believe, establish your prayers. And in the same way, he didn't say zakku, yeah, which could mean give zakat. He said, Atu zakata. Aqimu salata wa atu zakat. Okay? And always in plural form. So our scholars, when they looked at this, they realized it's not just praying one odd prayer here and there. It's about establishing your prayers, praying them regularly. And there is a social responsibility in it that we all will be blamed if we didn't facilitate for Muslim people a place where they can establish their prayers. So from this command of establishing the five daily prayers, ulama concluded it's a communal obligation to build mosques. That's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ did when he moved, migrated from Mecca to Medina. What did he do first? He established a masjid, a place of worship, because you have to pray. And if we didn't have masajid, what else will hint to us, point to us, that we are supposed to be establishing our prayers and pray? It will be difficult. It will be like what? Christians nowadays do maybe. Although they have their own place of worship, but it's changed, isn't it? It's not necessarily used for a very formal, regular prayer like we do. But maybe, I'm just thinking, 
when we read Surah Al-Baqarah, for example, and Al-A'raf, and you read the story of Ben Israel, the children of Israel, the Jews, it really hints to me that they also had uh, a place of worship, whatever they want to call it. The Quran also mentions more than masjid. Okay, sama, sawami, bia, okay, like other places of worship by different names from previous traditions. It seemed that they daily prayed in that. That's how I understand the story. I don't know how much you have read into this. But I understood that Sayyidina Musa was also asked to establish prayer, him and his community, and find a place of worship for them. And when it was established, it was always used for prayer all the time, non-stop. And he allowed people as well to make it tikah, to seclude themselves and, and pray in it. I'm sure the same is with, with Kanais, Christianity. So the only bit of tradition which is left but is gone to another extreme is the monks, monasteries. So they actually pray every day in those monasteries. So how did it all change? It's really not up to me and not uh, to me as well to understand everything, to explain. But uh, it has unfortunately changed. Okay, so now uh, this is the position we have. The Quran gave three main points that define a true religion. So if you establish those, and with zakat, like I said, with prayer, establishing mosques, building mosques, or establishing a place in your house where you can pray in a clean uh, place to fulfill all the preconditions for a valid prayer. With zakat, likewise, it's not just like, uh, whenever I feel like it, I have spare 20 pounds, I can give it in charity. <laughs> well, it's actually not like that. The scholar said, zakat is also a communal obligation. So if nobody gives zakat, you can take it out from people by force. Yeah, you can form like a called special kind of, it's called hisbah, police. Special kind of force, unit, force that will take from each and every person a portion okay, that they know they have a particular amount of wealth and give it to the poor and the needy, those who, who, who need it. The, the specified cats, categories in the Quran. And it's always happened like that. And this is the only way why Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu justified his position to wage a war against those tribes who didn't want to give uh, zakat anymore after the Prophet passed away. But he went to that degree to fight them. In, like, usually you wouldn't want to fight them and go all the way there if not needed, but you can enforce the policy. That's the idea in Sharia. So you can send a special unit, and that unit is actually also eligible to receive, receive zakat funds because they obviously are doing a job on behalf of a community. So therefore they can take a percentage of what they collect. But what they collect is not just for them and building their own private empire, it's to bring it back to those who are really in need. The main objective, of course, is the poor and the needy. Al-Fuqara wal masakin the first two categories. Every other category is supposed to uh, supplement the real purpose of zakat and ensure it does actually happen. It is paid, it is taken out. And in that way, the same person is actually also purified and his wealth and the whole community prospers. So uh, all our religions yeah, uh, are supposed to do this. 
Now, why don't they do the same like we do uh, in terms of fasting or zakat? And this, I don't know, but I wish one day they understand and they do that. Uh, and this is one thing. Those who reject the truth after it has been clearly explained are among the worst of creatures. And they are the ones who deserve to be punished. Okay? Uh, this is what this surah says, like in the end, really, that's the conclusion. Those who struggle with themselves to remain faithfully obedient to Allah's laws are among the best of people. Unlike the angels, they have been given a free will to do good or bad, and they earn Allah's pleasure through their good choice, like making the right decision and then doing the right thing, doing uh, good deeds. I'll just mention one more thing about this surah because I don't want you to misunderstand something which is important. So, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this surah, okay, um, yeah, so Allah says, the people of the book didn't disagree until the clear proof gave, came to them, which is, as I said, the Quran and the Prophet himself. And they were not ordered to do anything except to serve Allah, devoting themselves with sincerity to Allah alone, as straight and true believers, and to establish regular prayers and to pay zakat, purifying their arms, um, themselves as well. That is the real religion. So then Allah confirms, indeed those who disbelieve, basically those who reject the clear proof, once it's presented to them, it's come to them, they are the people who we call non-believers, al-kuffar or al-kafirin. Okay? And the idol of worshippers as a whole, Allah says, وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمِ because there's no justification for worshipping idols. Shirk, isn't it? They will stay in the hellfire forever, Allah says here. And they are the worst of people, of creation, actually. Al-Bariya, it's like oh, degradation. Like Allah could have said, khayrun nas, like, or khayrun ummah, like somewhere else. Allah says, you are the best of people or the best of nations. But here, khayrul bariya, the best of creatures. And this is how... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to create us human beings, which is something that the angels couldn't understand. Yeah, nobody. Allah only knew. But the scary part here is that humans, from among the humans, can become sharrul bariya. It's not just like evil, the worst of creatures. Means humans can become worse than animals. Not only animals, the worst of any creatures. So that to me is scary, really, is like in a way. So Allah then ends the surah in a nice way. Surely those who believe and do what is good are the best of cre creation. Khayrul bariya. And their reward is with their Lord, Allah, gardens of Eden beneath which the rivers flow. And they will stay therein forever. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is for those who truly fear their Lord. Zalika liman khashiya rabbahu. Okay, now, so you understand and you obviously know this surah, all of you memorize it probably, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ended this surah. So no one is a non-believer, okay, a kafir, until an evidence, a proof, comes to them and is explained to them, presented to them, and it will always be presented to them to their ability of apprehension understanding. So the scripture will always be sent in the language of those people that it was sent to. In this case it's Arabic because it was sent in Arabia. Uh, 
And then all the other evidence that we have, proofs that Allah has placed everywhere within ourselves, as he says, and everywhere around us in the entire creation of Allah in the universe, speak for itself. And we can actually relate to it if we are humble enough. We can reach. After you have seen all of that, and all that has been put before you, presented to you, before you, you again make the clear choice out of your own volition, yeah? Free will. I'm, ne- I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to believe in God. I'm not going to believe in anything unseen. Only the tangible things, empirically proven, that is what makes sense to me. Everything else is tales, stories of ancient people and, and uh, mythology and fabrications, etc. Whatever people, delusion and this and that. Whatever these modern movements are saying. Hmm. So the Quran says here, they will never see if they, t- they have become blind. Yeah, their eyes, they have eyes, but they'll never see. And there is no evidence which can be uh, clear enough and good enough <laughs> for them to understand and believe in it. That's what they don't understand. They are fooling themselves. So Allah says, once they've rejected the truth, once it's become apparent to them, has come to them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, wants every one of us to be guided and follow the right path and pray and be rewarded in Jannah. It doesn't take anything from Allah by placing every single soul that was born by His decree to stay in Jannah and no one in Jahannam. Why not? Allah doesn't need to put certain people in Jahannam so that the fire can keep going and there's enough fuel in it. Allah says, there's, there are stones, we don't know which stone, from this planet outside, I don't know, but Allah says, Al-Hijara is a fuel in Jahannam, not just the people, but people as well. And it's not Allah who wanted the people to be there, the fuel for the hellfire. They, people themselves, have fooled themselves and hence became the fuel extra fuel for the hellfire so the message for you and I today really is that we have more than enough evidence the clear proof has been presented to us, has come to us we have no other choice but to believe in Allah even though we cannot see him the same is we trust our messenger and whatever he came with so the same is with the Quran we believe in it as whatever the Quran says as the truth because it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and now our job is to establish a pure religion. That's what this surah says. Yeah? Pure scripture and deen qayyim or qiyam, which means full of good traits. And that is what Islam is because it resembles all the good qualities from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we refuse that, then we become non-believers. So in this time when the surah was revealed, all the Christians and Jews that lived at that time they, they, had, they were excused. They had the excuse until the messenger came to them or some Quran was presented to them. And if they then rejected it, they will no longer be termed as people of the book or Christians or Jews because after that they rejected the message which was apparent and clear to them. Then they become non-believers, kafir. Now, as you know, some of them, yeah, from the Jewish community in Medina, they read the Torah and they knew some bits of Torah and they practiced Judaism. When they heard of Quran and met the Prophet ﷺ, they cried. The Quran says this. They wept and they kissed the Prophet or embraced him. 
and they followed him and they started reading Quran. And some of them would not even study their tradition anymore because the Quran is such an amazing book, enough, more than enough evidence in it and more than enough guidance in it. They did that from Christians too. Okay, so there were certain Christian people, even scholars of Christianity, who met the Prophet ﷺ or met some of his Sahaba during his lifetime, but especially afterwards. When the uh, evidence was presented to them, they humbled themselves, as the Quran says, and they said, what else do we have but to accept this once it has been presented to us? That's how the Quran says. So all those people became, of course, Muslim. And they are all believers, okay? And they were also believers before that moment. They were not non-believers. They were Christians before, now they are Muslim. There's a big difference between being a non-believer, belonging to Christianity, being a Christian, and then a Muslim. Big difference. The same is with it, being a Jew, and being a non-believer among the Jews, and then a Muslim. But I'm afraid to say, most Muslim commentators say, after the whole Quran was revealed, and once the Prophet passed away, people of the book didn't have the same status anymore. Because then, some scholars until like five, six hundred years after Islam, uh, medieval times, yeah, they would say, maybe there are some places in the world that nev they never ever heard of Islam or, or our Prophet in olden days. Therefore, if they followed whatever their ancient religions were, they may be still be excused or they might be doing okay. We don't know. But most scholars say, uh, after the Quran was sent down, revealed, all of this is now past tense. So they have no other choice but to follow the Quran, to follow the Islam. This is the majority of Muslim scholars' opinion. And there are some who say, sometimes the Quran mentions, past, mentions this in past tense, which means it's all done. And some say, the Qur'an, some places still says, Alladheena, okay, or gives a kind of permanent status for the Jews and the Christians that they might be okay if they haven't corrupted their faith and religion. As if there are groups among the Christians still, since the beginning of Christianity, who are monotheistic. And among the Jewish tradition as a whole, there are still some Jews who worship only one true God and, and are on the right path. Something like that. I don't know myself. Like I said to you, it's not our job to judge any particular denomination of Christianity or Judaism. We don't have to because Allah saved us and we are guided. But we certainly don't want to ridicule them. So what we can say is this. The contemporary Christians and Jews, they are running a risk. We can say that. And this is the last thing I'll say on this surah. In my opinion, I had one Christian scholar who came to me a few months ago and he asked me, why should I become a Muslim? I'm already a good practicing Christian. So I said to him, I was trying to reason from this surah and elsewhere. I said to him, I understand. I'm not saying you are a bad person. I'm not saying Christianity is a bad movement or religion. I'm not saying anything bad. I don't understand some of the things you do. They're not in line with my scripture and my belief system. Therefore, I'm not going to risk uh, I believe in what my scripture says because it's come after yours. So I said to him, you should accept the Quran because it came after the Injil. 
Some, like that. It's like chronologically, this is the latest edition. So if this book now says of another messenger that came after Isa, I, have, I also believe in Isa like you do. Maybe you believe in his nature slightly different from me. I believe in him as a great, great, amazing prophet and messenger of God, but just a human like myself, just like my, my own prophet. I cannot treat him as a son of God or give any degree of divinity to him or any other prophet, including my own. Only God is divine. So I gave him several rational arguments. And the biggest one really is that Allah told us the Prophet Muhammad is the seal of the prophethood. He's the final prophet and messenger. And the more time goes by yeah, since his coming, yeah, since, since his time, until the day of judgment, that in itself is a rational argument, evidence that the religion of Islam is a sound religion and should also be followed. It's the latest edition of Abrahamic religions. So I told him these arguments and he said, oh, I never thought about that. And, and then I said one more thing. This is the most reassuring thing for us. I don't need to tell you because Alhamdulillah we are all Muslim. But you might be wondering what's happening with our so-called uh, brothers and sisters in, in, in Abrahamic religion, Christians and Jews. So I said to him, listen brother, I don't know all the truths because lots of things are mystery, not revealed to us exactly, nor do I know what happens exactly once you and I die and what is going to happen on the judgment day and how and who will be placed in Jannah and who will go to Jahannam. I don't know for sure. Okay, I can't judge anyone, nor do I have the power to do that. But I can tell you, according to my understanding, this is why we Muslims are confident. And we will never accept our children reverting to Christianity or losing Islam because if, like I said to him, if you are all good as well, you are also going to be accepted and your prayers will be accepted by God and the Jews and Allah will reward you. So your synagogues and churches are not a waste of time, good for you. I said, I've got nothing to lose. And why should I be jealous if all Jews and Christians also go to Jannah? I'm not going to be. There is no jealousy in Jannah. I don't mind. If they all go, I can't say you will all go. I can't also say you will not go. I can't prove that or disprove it. But I can tell you one thing. My religion says you have to accept each and every prophet and messenger that Allah sent unconditionally and believe in all of them and say that they are not lying. This is sent really from God. It's not made up by them. I've done my job by believing in each and every one of them until the final one, the last, the seal of the prophethood. Whereas with you, just think about it. I'm not from Muhammad's tribe or his brother or father to defend him like that from that angle. But in case he was a genuine prophet of God and now you know and I told you about it, you choose to reject him, you may be punished. You might have risked your salvation. And I'm not risking because I've accepted the Isa, Jesus, and Musa, and all of them. The same is with everything else. With the final judgment day, according to our understanding and our scripture, we are okay because we believe in Tawheed. We follow our Prophet. We are not doing anything wrong in terms of our creed. So we can hope and believe almost in guaranteed salvation that we will go to Jannah if there is a Jannah and Jahannam will be saved from it 
if it's that torturous and hurtful like the Quran says. So I'm not running any risks. Whatever turns out to be true, what I know in my tradition, at least I've done my homework. Whereas with you, I said to them, if my tradition says that Trinity is wrong and it's classified as idol worshiping, or uh, you are ruining your deeds by, by ascribing partners to God, you are risking the rest of your good deeds. All your prayers towards God Almighty, all your charity that you give to the poor and the needy, because you are doing something wrong. And in case you really are wrong, and our scripture says so, you are running the risk of going to the hellfire. And we all believe, of course, in Jannah and Jahannam. And he was like taken back. Wow. He's like, if we Christians go to Jannah, Muslims will definitely go with us. And it's like that. And then if the Jews go, okay then, the Christians will definitely also go because they believe in Musa and what was revealed to him. Okay, but Muslims will certainly always go with either all of them or with one of them, just Christians or just Jews or on their own. Whereas none of them will ever be able to go on their own or them just two together without us Muslims. So there's plenty of rational, rational arguments, clear evidence really, uh, that everyone really should follow Islam nowadays. I fully believe in this. I really believe in this academically and of course with my body and soul and my mind. But on top of everything else, we still have to acknowledge that we live in a multicultural and multi-faith country. So we have no reason and right to <clears throat> treat other people who don't follow our religion, <clears throat> who don't believe in the same principles that we do, as animals or dumb or crazies or evil or immoral. I don't believe in that myself. We shouldn't do that. Because what we are doing, if we do that, we are ourselves then becoming, we are doing prejudice. We are becoming judgmental. Whereas the Quran says very clearly, Allah is the judge. You and I can never say of any person, whether they are Muslim or non-Muslim, from your family or not, by their name as an individual, for sure, you can't testify and confess and say that anyone will go to Jannah or Jahannam. This is a maxim in our Islamic creed. We never accuse anyone of disbelief as a person, as an individual. We also cannot, only the Prophet could do that and the Quran. We can't confirm that someone is guaranteed Jannah or salvation. We also can't say someone is 100% on the right path and someone is misguided or full of innovations and this and that. We are not supposed to be judgmental and have prejudice. We leave that to Allah and we judge people by outward, not what's in their hearts because we can't read that and understand that, reach that. So in the same way, we don't know the full, full story of those two Abrahamic religions, what unfolded and how things have changed. We know a bit, but we are not concerned. None of us have to study Christianity to understand what went wrong in their dynasty and this and that. We read Quran, and if we haven't learned the Quran, that is the must farz for us to do as soon as possible so that we benefit, inshallah ta'ala. But as long as we live among them, they are our neighbors, we will treat them as human beings and respect them 
because they also are souls like we are. And those souls, their souls and ours came from God. And that is where the sacredness of a human being is, the dignity that you have to give to, to, to everyone else. Even if they are silly and, and uh, you know, uh, trying to preach idol worshipping, there is a soul in that body, okay? And because of that soul, you have to be respectful to that person. But, of course, we will not approve anything which is wrong. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم سبحانك اللهم نستغفرك ونتوب إليك ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وزدنا من فضلك وجودك وكرمك علما وتعليما اللهم أغننا بالعلم وزينا بالحلم وأكرمنا بالتقوى وجملنا بالعافية أرحم الراحمين اللهم ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب يا مصرف القلوب صرف قلوبنا على دينك وطاعتك ومحبتك يا مثبت القلوب ثبت قلوبنا على دينك وطاعتك ومحبتك يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم ربنا أنت ربنا الأكرم أنت الهادي تهدي من تشاء إلى صراط المستقيم اللهم ربنا يا رب العالمين اهدنا إلى الحق وإلى طريق المستقيم اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين آمين يا رب العالمين وارحم الراحمين بارك الله فيكم وجزاكم الله خير السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته